0: If you guys have your Bibles, will you please open up to the book of Romans chapter 12? Or if you have your Bible apps, we can open up your book, your Bible apps to Romans uh, chapter 12. And we are going to read really just a few verses this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 12 verses um, 9 and 10. Romans chapter 12 verses 9 and 10. And really this, this uh, message this morning and this text this morning, really in contrast to last week's text, if you remember in Ephesians 2, um, I really wrestled through the text because I felt like it was real deep and real theological. And then we swung the pendulum this week to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And, and, and this, really this text is simple and it's, it's practical Uh, But nonetheless, I believe I praying, I'm hopeful that it would be equally impactful to all of you here today. Um, And so um, that's just that's my prayer as we continue to pray and ask the Lord for us to uh, make us a beautiful community. Amen. And uh, if you remember, just all month long, I have been um, just deciding, determining to come up here and challenge you before we preach uh, just to do everything together this month. And so you're just going to kind of hear this echoed for the rest of this sermon series. Um, don't do anything alone. Like today after service, like don't go to lunch alone. Invite somebody. Don't read a book this month alone. Invite someone to read with you. Don't pray alone. Like, don't fast alone this month. Don't listen to a podcast alone. All these things that maybe you do to really to kind of build yourself up in the faith uh, uh, this month, why don't you invite somebody into that space with you? Even if it's just a phone call or a text this week, why don't you jump into a time of mutual encouragement, but this entire month, I just want to constantly remind you do it together don't do it alone because don't do it alone because God has created us for community and has made us into a community by his blood by his blood and so my prayer is that you wouldn't do anything alone I've entitled the message this morning true love true love in fact, when I say, I want you to find your true love, what do you think about? What's, what's, what, what comes to your mind when I ask you, or I say, look, I want you to find your true love? Now, if you had some time to sit here and think about it, my guess would be is that your mind would immediately go maybe towards romance. Right? Like, 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 I don't think that your first thought would have been Jesus. And maybe some of you are like on that, you know, you're in that place where you thought, you know, my first love is Jesus. And so I applaud you. But I don't know if it would have been Christ in his church. Like, yeah, that's beautiful. But when I think about my true love, uh, that's not the first place that most of us go to. And the reason why is because we have been conditioned by this world to think of that phrase, true love. Uh, uh, We've been conditioned to think of it in romantic terms. Romantic terms. Anybody like dating shows? Thank you for raising your hand. The rest of you were really quiet. So either you're going to judge me right now, which you, which is totally okay. But I love dating shows. I always have. Uh, I have grown up watching a blind date. Anybody watch blind date? Uh, some of you might be too young for that. Fifth Will and not the MTV version. There was a legitimate fifth wheel. How about shipmates? Anybody ever heard of shipmates? Yeah, coffee twenty. You probably didn't have that. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I even like watching cheaters right? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. There's just something about seeing things explode, right? Uh, uh, But nonetheless, you know, and it's funny is, you know, I I thought that the Lord had delivered me from this, right? Like this was, as I grew older, you can you know, there was a day. There was I Love New York. Do you remember that? There was Flavor of Love. Some of y'all record The Bachelor. I know you. Some of you record The Bachelor, so don't act like you don't like these types of things, right? Uh, um, but, uh, But it's really funny is because, you know, uh, uh, we we enjoy watching these shows. I think, you know, we enjoy the, the, the messiness, right? We like it when it gets a little messy, the messiness of the cringe moments of reality TV. But I think all of us ultimately want someone to find their quote-unquote true love. Um, and so it makes for good TV. It makes for good romance novels. It makes for a good movie. But again... I am entitling this message, True Love, but it's not the true love that you're thinking. And so um, if you have your Bibles, we are going to read Romans chapter 12 and really just two verses, but I would love for you to follow along, verse 9 through 10. Amen? Are you ready? Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. And the scripture reads like this. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm going to say that again. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, amen? I want you to know that the defining characteristic, right, the chief characteristic of the church is love. Paul said, the aim of our charge, the, the goal of our commandment is, ready? Love that issues from a pure heart. Peter said, above all else. In other words, like, there were a lot of things here, but above all those things, he says, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. Just as I have loved you, wow, you also love one another. Then he says, by this, All people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that was struggling with sin and division and infighting, he told them love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy nor boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then he, at the end of this commentary on love, he puts it all together by saying this now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Is love. I want you to know, church, love is the goal. Love is the greatest commandment. Love covers a multitude of sins. And are you ready for this? And according to Jesus, love authenticates the church. Love authenticates the church. Now, I brought something with me today, courteous of my dad. A round of applause for my amazing Papa Phil. <laughs> Do we have any collectors in the building? Uh, Maybe you collect comic books. Maybe you collect uh, uh, cards. Maybe you collect memorabilia. Any at all in the building, just by a show of hands. All right, man, this church. thank you, there's three. We need a lot of help. Nobody watches date shows. Nobody collects anything. We really need help. Okay, so I, to all three of you that collect, you're going to know what I'm about to talk about. To the rest of you that don't, I'm going to do my best just to explain the world of collectibles. So what I have with me, so growing up, my dad and I used to collect baseball cards, Anybody collect baseball cards? In fact, yes, one. In fact, I Googled the most expensive baseball card. Now, uh, what came up on Google, the most expensive baseball card ever, was a 1911 American Tobacco Co. Uh, uh, card of a baseball player by the name of Honus Wagner. Anybody ever heard of good old Honus. I have not, and I'm a sports fan. But can I tell you how much this good old baseball card is worth? $6.6 million for a piece of paper with a guy named Honus on it. Now, in the world of collectibles, are you ready? Authentication is the key to determine value. You see, when I was a kid, my father and I, we collected baseball cards. Baseball cards like Tops, Donruss, Upper Deck, Fleer. Some of you who know baseball cards, which was not many of you at all, uh, uh, know what I'm talking about. And, and, but, but one day, I remember receiving in the mail this unique kind of red this wasn't quite the baseball card box that I was used to receiving. And I remember we got this in the mail and it came with all of this little fancy, it almost looked like an overnight case. And, and what was really cool is that as you kind of open up the case, right? You guys with me? You see it? I got my big old iPad in the way. But as you opened up the case, right, it kind of, it's kind of like magic, right? You open it up and it just, like, a, like the red carpet comes out, right? Just red carpet comes out, right? And, and what was really fascinating about this case was inside of this set, like each individual card, are you see it? Came with like this hard, it's almost like an otter box for, for baseball cards, right? This like hard protective shell. Like I could probably, my dad's like, don't do it. I could probably throw it at you, knock you out and the card would be okay the card would be perfectly fine, right? And, and as, a, as a young kid collecting baseball cards, we had plastic sleeves, but this was another level of plastic protection. Let me tell you, in fact, I'm not even sure what this is. All I know is that this could hurt somebody really bad, and, and, and in this in this kind of beautiful case, right, uh, came a set of 1967 Startliner decal cards, which included players like Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and Roberto Clemente, like, and many more. Yeah, we have a couple Puerto Ricans in the house. I hear you. And and, and so, you know, as you opened it up and as the red carpet kind of unfolded, like, this was really impressive. But do you want to know what the most impressive thing about this card, about these set of cards were? I'm glad you want to know, because I want to tell you. The most impressive thing about this set of cards was that it came with a certificate of authenticity. A certificate of authenticity. Now why was that the most impressive thing about the cards? You see, in a world of, in collectibles, in the world of collectibles, uh, uh, people try and pass on counterfeit, or, or, or there's a wide array of duplicates that are out there in this world of collectibles, and what they do is they try to pass the counterfeits or pass the duplicates as the originals, but only only those sets who have a proof or a validation only of those sets that have been verified by certificates of authenticity from a reputable source are you with me only those cards that carry authenticity from reputable sources only those cards are worth and valuable in fact, if you were to have a card, but you had no way of verifying whether it was the original or, original or not, if you didn't have the certificate of, of, of authenticity, that card would be worthless. Be fraudulent. And really, in the end, it would be just worthy of the trash. And in the same way, I think the same could be said about Christians and the church of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You see, we we make claim with our mouths. We got a lot of big mouth Christians. We can claim with our mouths that we are truly belonging to Jesus. We can claim to belong to Jesus, but if we are not committed to not only saying love, but demonstrating love to one another, then we are nothing more than frauds, fakes, and those that lack the authenticity, the certificate of authenticity of God. And and when Paul says love one another, he's talking about one another means to love those who are other believers in Christ, to love the church as Christ loves the church. Are you with me? So Paul, in his opening line, if you caught that, says, let love be genuine. In other words, let your love be true. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be sincere. Let your love demonstrate true love. Amen? Can I say one thing before we get into the message? Uh, This is not an excuse (laughs) to say, well... Since Paul doesn't want me to be a hypocrite, then I might as well just be rude, right? I hear this all the time, especially in a particular generation. It's like, well, I'm just being real. As if like it's noble, like, okay, well, I don't love this person, so I might as well be real because Paul says don't be a hypocrite. And so I might as well just let everyone know in a very rude and loud way that I don't want nothing to do with you. Paul is not saying, hey, if you can't love genuinely, well, then, be, then go ahead and hate on everybody in, in, for, in the sake of, just for the sake of being real, right? Paul's not saying that. He's saying love genuinely, So you both got a problem. To the person who loves but is hypocritical, you don't know Jesus. And to the person who doesn't love, and so might as well, hey, you don't know Jesus either. And so this is a call for the church to love genuinely. Amen? So I want to do two things today for the rest of our time together. I want to define true love. What is true love? (laughs) And then I want to describe true love. In other words, I I just want to define what it is. And then I want to try and tell you what it looks like in the context of a local church. Amen? So what is true love? And then what does that love look like expressed in the context of a local body of believers? Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to all of us in this room. I pray that your will would be done in this place. And I pray even this month as we pray that you would beautify the church, that you would beautify, inspire church. And as we remember that we have been bonded by the blood of Jesus, allow that understanding, the revelation of that cross, then overwhelm us with love, not just for you, but for one another. And so I pray today that we would all walk out of this room loving genuinely, that we would all walk out of this room knowing what it means to find true love. And I ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I would like to define true love. What, what, what is true love? Now, if you've been around church for a long time, you may have heard this before. If you, if you haven't been around church, well, this might be new to you. But nonetheless, the Greeks in ancient Greek really used three different ways, three different words to describe three different kinds of love. Okay, There were three words, and from those three words, each word basically described three different types or kinds of love in the Greek. And so if, if you might have heard this, but the, the first word is there, were, there was the word called eros, eros. And, and what eros described was a sensual, a, a sexual pleasure. And, and in fact, it's where we get the English word erotic. And so the Greeks would use eros to define a sexual, sensual kind of love. In fact, if you look at a lot of the dating shows that we watch, right i mean, that's what this world tends to glorify in, in, in fact, uh, so, some of you ladies in here, maybe, perhaps, and I'm trying not to be sexist, but, you know, I, I just, I'm just, just bear with me, forgive your It's pastor's, pastor's appreciation, but, 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 you know, I don't see a lot of men kind of reading those, you know, large romantic novels, you know, in the front where the guy has like long hair and, you know, spray painted airbrushed abs, right, and, you know, the, and the damsel's in his arms and she's leaning over, right, and, and what we do is we get lost in the fantasy, of that world's, right? And and so so there the Greeks used the word eros to describe this kind of sensual, sexual, erotic love. And then they used this second word called philean. Philean. And philean described really the fondness of friendship. Are you with me? The fondness of friendship. In fact, we get the word Philadelphia from philean it's actually two Greek words put together. It's Philean and it's Adolphos, which means brother, which is why we call Philadelphia, right? The city of what? Brotherly love. Sorry, I got to take a piece. I got to get some water here. Amen. The city of what? Say it again. Thank you. I got to time that a little better next time. And so Philean really means this connection or affection, this fondness of friendship. And so when we take that and combine that with Adelphos, so we get Philadelphia. And so this kind of affection of friendship goes even deeper when we look at it in terms of our brother or our sister, amen? And finally, there is this third word that you might be familiar with called agape, really which, which was rarely used in Greek In Greek secular text, agape was very rarely used, if at all. But in the New Testament, we see agape being used frequently to describe the unconditional, self-sacrificial love of God toward us. And what we see in the New Testament is the revelation that God, are you ready? In Christ Jesus didn't just say he loved us, but he demonstrated agape by determining to lay down his life for those who hated him. In fact, this is what Paul will tell us in Romans 5, 7, and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die, but God shows his agape for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so agape compared to the other two, Eros and philia, is a divine love. In fact, Eros and Philean if you think about it can all be achieved in the flesh. You can achieve sexual and sensual affection in the flesh. You can even achieve friendship and fondness in the flesh. But you cannot achieve agape. You cannot achieve the unconditional love of God because only agape comes from God. Yet something strange happens in this text. Paul in the book of Romans, he's gonna use the word agape for the very first time outside of the context of explaining God's love for us. And he's gonna say this, now you agape one another. You with me? In other words, in the same way, I want you to read this up here and I want you to capture this in your heart. In the same way that you have been loved by God, love one another. Isn't that amazing? And isn't that impossible? (laughs) I just got done telling you that it's humanly possible to demonstrate the first two loves, but it is only from a divine source that we could even experience the final love. Yet here, Paul is saying in the church with one another, what authenticates you. What differentiates you, what validates you as a true follower of Jesus, a true beautiful community of God, is not that you show the love that you can show naturally, but that the church would demonstrate to one another the love that can only be divine. This is what verifies whether or not we are real ones, or we are just playing church. And so now that we have defined agape. I want to describe agape. True love. I want to describe true love. Uh, what does true love look like in the context of the church? Amen. Five. I'm going to give you five practicalities that I believe is implicated by this text. Right. Five Uh, uh, um, implications of true love in the body of Christ that I believe come from this text, amen? And so the first one is this, are you ready? True love edifies, true love edifies. In fact, I wanna kind of give you a a quick picture of eros, right? If you go back to that first word I used for eros is the Greek word, Really, it's sexual pleasure and sensuality. Really, that's not love. That's we have another L word for that, don't we? It's lust. And what's really fascinating is on the outside, love and lust could kind of look like each other. Like very superficially on the outside, though. They, they could kind of present themselves in a kind of way that will look similar. But in fact, they are very deeply different. And and really to those of you in this room, you know, some of you think you're in love, but you're really in lust right? And, 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 but, but, but in the world, the world likes to kind of bait and switch and, and mix those together. And a lot of us have been conditioned to think that those two are the same. In fact, there are some singles in here, you carry lust as your primary determining factor as to whether or not true love exists. And listen, there are some married couples that still carry lust as your primary factor. And so the fact that that sexual pleasure doesn't even exist right now, you think you're not in love. Amen. but can I just say this? What the difference between lust and love? And this is a nugget. It's not even in the notes, but I'll just give it to you. I, lust perverts, right? It perverts. A, it, it lust perverts the person. It objectifies them. It sexualizes them. And in doing that, it, 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 it tears them down. You see that? And in objectifying telling, you you, you use lust to pervert the purpose of that person so that you can gratify your flesh. And so people in lust are just using one another to get what they want. You with me? Love edifies. Whereas lust will kind of tear down, love will build. Love will build. He'll build up. Love builds up. Where, where, lust, where lust will pervert the purpose, lo, lo, love will look at the purpose and elevate it in that individual's life. Where, where lust will pervert and tear down the individual to feel better about itself, love will, will build up the purpose of the individual even if it costs self. Mm. What does it mean when I say true love edifies? To edify is to build one another up. Do you know that's what it means? To edify means to stir one another up. It means to root one another on as we journey toward Christ-likeness together. And so my question for the church, do you love one another? Are we edifying one another? Do you, my question for you today is, do you have someone who edifies you? And do you have somebody that you edify? Who are you edifying and who is edifying you? If the answer is no, it's going to be a very weak, anemic Christianity that you'll one day walk away from. Are you with me? When the staff calls me just to see how I'm doing, they're building me up. When my boy Marcus text me to encourage me, he's building me up. When the elders give me godly counsel and advice, they're building me up. When Marvin and I pray for one another and fast with one another, we're building one another up. When we're marked present for Sunday worship, we're building one another up. When we decide to get lunch together after service to talk about the word, we're building one another up. When we're marked present together for small groups, we're building one another up. This past Wednesday, yes, this Wednesday that just passed, 12 of Inspire leaders gathered together. Did you know that? We gathered in a room together. And here's what we did. We covered the room with over 200 names. All of your names were on the wall. You didn't know that. And in that room... We begin to see the leaders cry and weep. Everyone prayed your name out loud and prayed for your families. I don't do this to boast, but when we gather together and we put your name on the wall and we begin to pray for you and intercede for your family, we were what? Building the body up in a world that is so quick to tear us down. True love, what? builds one another up. I love this quote. Without mutual edification, the church becomes a collection of spiritual weaklings, a perpetual nursery for spiritual infants rather than a temple being built up for the Lord to dwell. Wow. Hmm. Number one, true love edifies. Number two, true love ministers. In fact, edification and ministry kind of coincide with one another, but I did want to mark this out. Uh, to minister, did you know what ministry means? It means to serve. In fact, in the Old Testament, when Hannah dedicated her son, Hanuel, Samuel, Hanuel, <laughs> dedicated her son Samuel to the temple, you know what the scripture says? That he ministered at 12 years old before the Lord. And you know what that meant? It meant that he cleaned the altar after the blood offering. Ministry is serving. To be a minister is to be a servant. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You ready? Because you're conditioned to think this way. This is going to be another commercial for Inspire Serve Teams. Right? I'm not serving on a team. Here we go. Okay, maybe not. Maybe you didn't think that way. Okay, praise God. But, but can, I, can I give you an illustration and many years, my mom led worship and she's always used me as illustration. So I really love using my mom as illustrations now. Um, (laughs) you know, it's just, you know, it's just how it works. Um, but last Sunday, um, I saw a fire in mama Patty's eyes last Sunday, um, as she walked into church and, and you know, it was, was, was ironic about that is like, she wasn't scheduled to serve. So I'm not, I'm not talking about a serve team. Are you with me? With me? Like she came in last Sunday with a fire in her eyes and, and, I, and I saw that and, and she wasn't scheduled to serve. I could see that she wasn't actually serving, right? But here's what happened. She, 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 she'd actually began to minister and you know what's really crazy? She didn't need a stage, right? She didn't need an altar call. Uh, she began to exercise her gift in the body. I don't know if you guys caught that. Most of you probably didn't, but she's like a ninja. She's moving in silence. But those who, who were in the middle of that know. And, and I saw her. I watched. I watched. She doesn't know that. She called me to tell me, but I actually seen. I watched as she walked through the halls of Crown Plaza, edifying the body of Christ, like pulling people aside. She was exercising her spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit, of knowledge and wisdom. And I saw people leave that in joy. I saw people leave it in tears. There were like four or five that I counted. There probably might've been more from beginning to end. I watched her as she strategically took people to the side. And I watched as they came back edified, encouraged, strengthened, refreshed. Wow. My prayer is that God would raise up hundreds of Mama Patties in the church, right? People who don't just, listen, people who don't just go to church. Yeah. People who are the church. Yeah. And, you, and you know what I see? Can I say this? I see even with the serve teams, some of us, we serve and then we don't come when we don't serve. And can I just say this? Well, we don't do it because we just have a real low value of church, of the gathering of the believers. Like we really have bought in that it's the show, right? That we just kind of sit and watch. Like we forgot, we forgot that God has called the body to minister to one another, even if it's your, not, your day not to serve. When you come here, you're edifying one another. Your presence edifies. I'm edified. It was pastor's appreciation and just seeing this room full of people was edifying to me. You edify one another And you know what was really amazing? Mama Patty. you could tell, came to church already in the spirit. Some of us, we come to church and we need church to get in the spirit. But she came to church in the spirit. She didn't come to church to get prayed over, which there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we need to do that. But she came to church already prayed up. I... I, (laughs) I put such a value on church attendance, I really do. I think it's biblical. Scripture says, don't make a habit of not being with the brothers, right? Don't make a habit in Hebrews, of being absent from the gathering. We talked about the gathering a couple of weeks ago. I try not to be legalistic. I was born and raised though. Obviously, you know, my mom and dad, we've been going to two services. They're at every service. Like, I'm not expecting you to do that. But I just wanna say this, like somebody has a revelation of what it means, not just to go to church, but to be the church. Are you with me? So true love in the context of the body, okay? Agape, unconditional, self-sacrificial love expresses itself, number one, in edifying, okay? Number two, in ministry. Number three, the scripture says, in outdoing one another in honor, (laughs) right? Which is really crazy, because when I hear the word outdo, I think of competition, Right? And and when I think competition, I always think like I'm trying to prove that I'm better than you. But, but really, if I try to outdo you in honor, I'm trying to prove that you're better than me, <laughs> right? Like I- I'm deferring myself. I'm stepping aside. I'm preferencing you over me. And so if we are going to compete in the church, if we must compete in the body of Christ, let us not compete in the flesh where divisions happen, but let us outdo one another in joy, in love as we edify and honor one another and prefer the other. Over ourselves, are you with me? In the world, we honor someone because of position, popularity, title. Right? I mean, if Steph Curry came in today, and him and Aisha sat down, they put their kids in kids' ministry, sat down here, we would all just be besides ourselves, out of our minds. We would give him ungodly honor, uh, otherworldly honor. Hey, Mr. Curry, do you want to sit in the front? Do you want to be bothered? You? I mean, we'd break out all the stuff. But if somebody comes in that nobody knows. It's just human nature, I mean, it's not, we just, we just disregard. We don't even have to be, we're not, we're not even being angry on purpose, but we just attribute value in the world to people of high esteem. But in the church, are you ready? Here's what Paul said. We honor one another, not because of our position, our title, our power, our reputation, but we honor one another because of Jesus. I mean, I mean, and, and I know you clap, but the reality is right. In Christ, we all have been dignified by his blood. In Christ, we all have been glorified by his blood. In Christ, we all have been seated in heavenly places. In other words, in Jesus, you have already been elevated to the highest place of honor. And so listen, here it is. If I am already in the highest place of honor, why would I not want to give honor to someone else? You only want honor out of insecurity, but you give it away when you are secure in Christ Jesus. And in Christ, though our sins deserve eternal shame, his death has brought us eternal honor. Therefore, if Christ has honored me, how could I not give that away? I gotta go quickly, number number four. True love is moral. Like, where are you getting these from? The scripture. <laughs> True love is more. So, so, so he says, love genuinely, love, love without hypocrisy, agape. What does that look like? And he, he, says, he says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Do you see that? You know what Paul is telling us? And this is so relevant. I thought about Pastor Roger and Gerald and th- this part is kind of philosophical. So I'm gonna go really slow here, but I really hope that you would capture this. I want you to try to follow me here. Number one, he, Paul is saying that love Has a morality. And that, in fact, when morality is absent, so is agape. Can I explain that? There's a dangerous narrative in our society today that says, if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. Am I I the only one that's experiencing that? If you don't agree with me, you don't love me. In fact, The dangerous narrative continues to reason. The very idea that God would even have an objective moral standard is offensive. In fact, if you were to adopt a moral standard, if you were to say that God has a moral standard, they would deem that as hate. Hate. Do you see this? Here's what's dangerous. So what God defines as true love... The world is now calling hate. Are you with me? Are you with me there? Paul Paul says, if it's agape, it must abhor what is evil and love what is good. This is really important. I I want you guys to get this. And I really don't think that people, I think there might be even some people in this room that accidentally have that worldview because you've been brainwashed into it, conditioned into it. But can I just say this? Um, it's really a destructive worldview. And I'll tell you why. Follow me. A world that denies objective moral truth is a world that denies the existence of sin. Are you with me? So to call me a sinner is to say that you hate me. And so a world says, let's erase morality Or let's make it subjective. In other words, it's whatever you want it to be. So there's no real morality. It's just everyone makes up their own. Are you with me? So a world that denies sin denies Christ, who is the embodiment of agape. Why? To deny sin is to deny the cross, to deny grace to deny forgiveness. Because if there was no such thing as sin, why would you ever need to forgive? Why would there ever be need for grace? If there was no such thing as an objective moral standard, then Christ died for nothing. Are you with me? So to deny sin, in essence, is to deny the unconditional, self-sacrificial love of God. And as a worldview that worldview, that belief is left with, ready? If you take away agape, what are you left with? If you remove agape out of your worldview, what do you have? You have shallow, unauthentic, fraudulent love. Imagine a world with no revelation of agape. When you deny God's objective moral standard, you deny God's redeeming love a world without an objective moral standard is a world without Christ. And a world without Christ is a world without the embodiment of true love. If you take Jesus away, who is our model for how we should love? Where do we get that definition from? And I'm gonna invite the team to come forward as we conclude. Fifth and finally, true love is Philaean and Adolphos, Philadelphia, Paul says, Brotherly love. We're bonded by his blood. We're bonded by the cross of Jesus Christ on that cross where Christ spilt his blood on that cross where Christ was crucified. Are you ready? The blood of Jesus did two things. Remember, it reconciled us back to God so that we are no longer enemies. But God now calls us sons and daughters by his blood. True love is family. But that's not all, Paul says. Not only has the blood of Jesus reconciled you back to the father, but then in that reconciliation, the father has brought you into a family. And so then not only are we sons and daughters, but we become brothers and what? Sisters. You ever used to find it weird that everyone say, hey, brother so-and-so? Hey, sister so-and-so? Like you bring kind of a new person. Like, ooh, this is kind of cultish, right? Like, "Why, hey, that's, that's brother Philip and that's sister Jamila, right? Like we all brother and sister, but this is where it comes from. It's this reality that in Christ, we have been reconciled to one another as family. We are bonded by his blood. Whereas blood is thicker than water, spiritual blood is thicker than natural blood. So I want to conclude by reading you guys a text and then I want to respond in a moment of worship and then we'll pray. Are you with me? And you don't have to go there. We'll have it for you on the screen. First John chapter four, verse seven and eight reads like this. This is the apostle John speaking. He says this beloved. I love that (laughs) beloved. He's saying beloved. In other words, you are beloved. He's talking to you, the beloved, beloved, those who are loved. Let us now one another, love one another. You see that? Because you are love, now give that love away. Let us love one another. He says this, for love agape is from who? God. And whoever loves has been born of and knows. Nice. Then he says this, anyone who doesn't, uh, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Amen. Isn't that a pretty, like, beautiful word, but also a bit of a rebuke? (laughs) You see that? Like, do you see the beauty of love in there? Like, God is love, so beautiful. And everyone who knows God and is of God, what loves? But if you don't love, then you don't know God. And so, I want to pray for a few people in this room. There might be someone in this room today, if you're being honest with yourself, you're realizing that you might say you love Jesus, but you really lack love. Like you might be very honest and say, you know what, I lack, I feel like I lack genuine love. Like I don't feel like I'm a very loving person. And there might be others of you in this room who have been looking for your true love. And in fact, you've tried many different places, but have only been left Unsatisfied. And you're realizing that the loves that the world gives, they don't satisfy. That only God's divine love will do. I got good news for you both. Your remedy is the gospel. Your remedy is Christ, Jesus. Only he can restore love, reconcile love. And only he can, ready, pour into you the love of God. So that once you're filled with the love of God, you can give the love away. Yeah. Do you know this? You can't love unless you've been loved. It's impossible. It's impossible. You can't. You can't. And so this is the love in Christ Jesus. This is the love of God in Christ Jesus. Here it is. That while you were yet sinners, Jesus died on the cross for you. That's love. And while you hated him in his word, He died for you. And on that cross, two things happened. I say this all the time, but I want the church to always know this. On that cross, two things happened. Number one, all of your sin was placed upon Jesus. And in that moment, as his blood was being shed, the wrath of God for sin was being poured out on Jesus. He took your sin and put it upon himself. And then took your punishment. But that's not it. You know what else happened? He gave you in exchange for your sin. He gave you his perfect record of righteousness. Clean bill. Perfect. Perfect. No. Sinless. Stainless. So that now when God would look at you, he wouldn't see your sin and failure. He would see the perfection of Jesus. But the church struggles to believe that, don't we? I mean, You don't really believe that. You don't really believe right now that your standing is perfect and it's righteous. You don't really do. Because if you did, like if you really believed that, how would that change the way you love?